Pushkin. You can find inspiring stories almost anywhere. For instance, check out the co-founders of Girls Who Do Interiors. This Miami-based design company was started by three friends when they were still in school. And right from the start, they turned to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards. And they handled them all in one place with the Chase mobile app. It's so important to have that kind of help when you're just starting out. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member FDIC. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Before we get started, let's talk about Pushkin Plus. Pushkin Plus is a subscription podcast program available on Apple Podcasts. Members will get access to exclusive bonus content, like my weekly bookmarks, where I talk about how I got a book agent and what I'm watching on TV that week. You'll get uninterrupted listening to many of your favorite podcasts, like Revisionist History, Cautionary Tales, and The Happiness Lab. Sign up for Pushkin Plus on the show page in Apple Podcasts or at pushkin.fm. Whenever we think about epics, we think about the deeds of men. That's poet and novelist Honoré Fanon Jeffers. It was always about men, and no one that taught me these epics ever challenged that this was great, that this was about men. And I, I've been a feminist ever since I was a little bitty girl. Uh, and so I would always say, well, where are the ladies? The ladies are in her latest book, an epic novel called The Love Songs of W.E.B. Du Bois. The book spans several generations of women from a Southern Black family. It took her more than a decade to write this epic story, not just about women, but about Black women. And it paid off. Her debut novel won the 2022 Fiction Prize from the National Book Critics Circle. It's a book that I now consider a literary classic, and I encourage folks to read it all of the time. (laughs) 
Welcome to Well Read Black Girl, the literary kickback you didn't even know you needed. I'm your host, Glory Edom. Every week, I talk to writers and thinkers about their craft and how their work shows up in the world. This week, I'm with Honoré Fanon Jeffers. In our conversation, we talk about her early childhood, her writing process, and how poets like Lucille Clifton influenced her work. Honoré, it is an honor to be in conversation with you. I have been a longtime fan, and I was stunned by just the beauty and the grace of your novel. And I'm excited to talk to you and the community all about it. The pleasure and the honor is all mine. Well, I I have so many questions, but I think what I want to do is start from the very, very beginning. I highlighted so many parts of your novel. I was just taken just by your sentences and just the beauty of them. And I'm going to read one of your sentences back to you because it's all in my notes. The opening line, we are the earth, the land, the tongue that speaks and trips on the names of the dead as it dares to tell these stories of a woman's line. Her people, her dirt, her trees, her water. It's such a perfect opening because it also just, it illustrates the power of your writing and the power of your voice. And I'm really curious to hear, when did you really start to understand the command of your language and how to persuade people on the page and you do it so beautifully as a poet and to see this in your first novel. I'm going to start crying. This is why I got my Kleenex right Listen, here. Listen, it, it's just, I'm <laughs> you, just you move me greatly. You move me so much. Thank I you, my sister. I am just telling you the truth. It is just so profound to read your writing and when you encounter it, you have to sit with it. And you witness it in your poetry and now you see it in your first. And, and to say first novel, I'm so astounded that this is your first because it it just is so epic. Well, it took 11 years. (laughs) So I think that that's what people need to understand. This was not something that I put together in two years or three years. And I was writing The Age of Phyllis at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so I was in this space. But when you talk about when did I first learn the command, do you mean just period or with the novel? You know, let, let's go into both, but I'm, I would okay. love for you to recall a memory as a child. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, it's not my memory. It's my mama's memory. She remembers that I was five and I came to her and I said, this is a story that I wrote and I want you to get it published. That's what <laughs> I don't remember that. Oh, that seems so arrogant for a little girl, right? But I do remember, you know, my father was a well-known Black arts movement poet. I resisted being a writer for so long because I had a very difficult relationship with my father. And he cast a very big shadow and he was very brilliant. Mm. I first read Tolstoy because he gave me Tolstoy to read. And I was like 11 years old. And so we would go to poetry readings of his. And my father had this deep baritone voice. And 
he would transform when he would do these poetry readings and women would weep Mm. and people would shout like it was in church or something like that. There was just like a power. And I thought I could never be that. And so I had my little journals and I scribbled and all of that. There were other moments, I won't say in terms of creatively, but there were moments where I realized, and this is going to sound strange for a child, that my power was very disturbing to adults. Mm. I had another teacher, um, and you can't defame the dead, so I can call her name, Ms. Ratliff. Mm-hmm. And I remember in seventh grade, Ms. Ratliff asked me to come. I love Miss Ratliff. She was my science teacher. She had a ponytail. She's a white lady. And it would bounce up and down when she was <laughs> explaining science to us and all that. I adored her. So one day, Miss Ratliff told me she had something very serious and important to talk to me about. And she wanted me to stay after school. So I was going through my memory like, what did I say? What did I do to displease Miss Ratliff? Because I adored her. So she closed the door and, you know, it was just us. And she said she was very concerned by how loud I was. I spoke way too loud and girls could not be loud. Now, this is a woman in the STEM field. <laughs> so, I, you, know, I, I, you know, I was thinking, well, you know, even as a child, of course, I was just thinking, this lady is a scientist and she had told us about there weren't a lot of ladies in the sciences and here she is, you know. So she kept on going and she said, this is when I knew there was something about me that must have been frightening. Because mm. she went out of her way to destroy me. She oh, said, wow. if you don't learn how to lower your voice, no one will like you mm. and you will never find a man to love you. Oh my goodness. You will never find a husband. And she just kept on. And in that moment, I knew I must be really special because this, this lady is going out of her way to be mean to me. And I I couldn't really understand what was happening, but I remember that. Yeah. I remember that. And I thought, whoa. I never told my mother because I knew my, oh, I knew my mother was going to. She wouldn't have it. More than she wouldn't have had it. It would have been like, smoke in the city, you know? And so I never told my mother, but I remember writing a poem based upon that when I was in graduate school. It wasn't a very good poem. None of my poems were good in graduate school, but I remember the last line was, silence can't get me a witness. Mm. And I think that was the true moment. But I will say, Miss Ratliff gave me a very odd gift. Mm. You know, and I was 12 then. Well, these moments happen at a young age and they leave such a firm impression on who really you will become. Because That's in that, why you have to be careful with what you say to children. It's you true. Know? It's mm-hmm. so true because you could have taken that moment and it could have had the reverse effect. You could have gotten quieter and you could have just went inward and not have. spoken to people. But instead, you found 
a moment to be powerful and more of yourself? I really think... And I don't need everybody or even want everybody to believe in God. My thing is everybody has their belief or non-belief or whatever, and I'm respectful. And, you know, most of my friends are atheists. But I do think that God had his, her, their hand upon me. I think everybody's got something. Mm -hmm. My blessing was that I found what it was. And I have a deep belief that everybody's got something extraordinary within them. The problem is, is that some people are not writers and they try to make themselves be writers. Or some people are not dancers and they try to make themselves be dancers. But I think everyone has something. I have so Mm. many questions for you because (laughs) I think that also what's so beautiful about how you work is your relationship to history. And I think you knowing your family history, you knowing the boys, you just knowing the history of America allows us to have this epic tale. And you said before that you wanted to write a kitchen table epic. Can you Mm -hmm. explain to me what that means and how you even came to that conclusion that that's what you wanted to tell the world? In terms of the kitchen table epic, whenever we think about epics, we think about the deeds of men. I was an English major and, you know, I read Beowulf and when we read translated excerpts from Odysseus, it was always about men and no one that taught me these epics ever challenged that this was great, that this was about men. And I've been a feminist ever since I was a little bitty girl. Uh, And so I would always say, well, where are the ladies? And so when I first started writing a book, I was just getting in where I fit in, right? I was just writing and that's what I do. I write these pieces and then I'll sit with them and then I'll start, you're a little young to remember um, the original Soul Train, but there used to be- I watched the reruns. I watched You watched the reruns, okay. (laughs) You know, the Soul Train scramble board and they were doing this, right? And that's what I do, right? I, I write something and I say, Oh, this will fit. You know, I have a little outline. But when I began to think about it and I thought, why not an epic journey? But of Black women. Yes. Mm -hmm. Not just women, but Black women. Because sometimes my white sisters are under the mistaken impression that their empowerment is our empowerment. Mm -hmm. Right? You know, if you, you know, they say women and Black people. And I'm like, no. I need me. After the break, more with Honoré Fanon Jeffers on how her academic work continues to give literary elders like Lucille Clifton and Toni Morrison their flowers. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. 
whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. I'm Glory Adam, and you're listening to Well Read Black Girl. Today, I'm joined by Honoré Fanon Jeffers, author of The Love Songs of W.E.B. Du Bois. Your affection for Du Bois from the title and just like the framing of the entire book, why did you choose Sorrow Songs to frame everything? Um... When I was a little girl, and we would go down south every summer to Eatonton, Georgia. So Chickasetta is a fictional town. But in my mind, it's based on Eatonton. But I don't know Eatonton because I didn't grow up there. I only remember it as a child and a young girl. And, And then I started thinking about, this is the indigenous folks' land. It still belongs to them. Even if Georgia is taken over by this, that, and the other, it's still the land of the Creek and the Cherokee and the Yamacra and all of those original folks that live there. And so I wanted to have a non-Western kind of way to enter into like almost a biblical lineage and being very respectful that it wasn't biblical. But when I think as a little girl, those were sort of my elders' voices and then the the voices of the King James Bible. So I was sort of thinking about how could I flip the Bible Mm. and make that a non-Western way of entering into this sacred place and this sacred lineage. And so that's, that's how I started that. And I've talked about this frequently. Alice Walker is from Eatonton. My mother taught Alice Walker. Miss Walker wrote a review. A beautiful <laughs> review. Oh my God. A I beautiful. Cried all day long. So was, stunning. And, and I didn't even know she had written it. She wrote it back in September. Somebody 
posted it and, uh, uh, you know, tweeted it and tagged me. And I was like, oh my God, my world is round now, right? But doesn't but, that uh, feel like destiny from your mother teaching Alice Walker to her now ooh, reviewing oh, and, and just re- <laughs> like, like how, is, it, how are we not feels, all connected? It feels like the Lord. I have to tell you, I had some real tough times growing up. And uh, there were times where I really feel like I wouldn't make it. And I'll just say that. And so to be here, because I would get these not real voices, but like a feeling when I would be in the midst of despair as a child, as a teenager, as a young woman that said something better is going to be down the road if you just have that faith. And so, yeah, it feels, it really rocks my world sometimes when I think about it. But to talk about the sorrow songs, when I would go down south to my grandma's church, Flat Rock Primitive Baptist, and they would line out the songs, Mm. right? And the old people, they would have this beautiful sort of way that they would drag through a song. God, my feet, while I run this race. And then everybody else would come in. I have never forgotten those moments. That's why the church is all in the the book. I mean, I'm a radical, feminist, pro-LGBTQ Christian. And I always joke with people, that's like jumbo shrimp. That's like a oxymoron. But I'm not trying to hit Christianity over the head with people. And there are West African gestures in the book with two particular characters that nobody ever talks about, but they're there. But it's because when I would hear these songs, they really impressed something upon me. And then when I read Du Bois for the first time, I think I was in junior high school, and I read the Sorrow Songs, and I thought, oh, okay. This is it. This is what he's talking about. And it stayed with me. But I do think people are like, this is odd. You wrote a book all about Black women and then put Du Bois, you know, in the title. I love the juxtaposition of that because even with the Sorrow Songs, there is a line from that chapter where he says, they walked in darkness, sang songs in the olden days, sorrow songs, for they were weary at heart. But you could continue that sentence to also say they had wonder in their heart, you know? They, they really had wonder and they had faith. Yes. They saw us here. Mm-hmm. They saw us reading when it was against the law for them to read. They saw all of this for us. Yes. And to me, that is a miracle. Yes. And then when I think about people who are not descendant, Black folks who are not descended from the transatlantic slave trade, who are here too, and here we are together. Yes. Finally. Yes. You know, we were separated for hundreds of years, and here we are back together. That's just powerful to me. I mean, at this point, as a writer, you you said it, you've written five books, five beautiful poetry books at that. The novel is your sixth book. 
I am just really curious to hear what's going to surprise you. What are you hoping for in the future? When you look at the page, what are you like wanting to put down these days? Are you working on more poetry? Will there be a second novel? What is in store? Well, I hope there will be a second novel. I hope there will be a third novel. I hope, you know, I mean, I always say if the Lord allows me to live, I have my things that I want to do. But for now, I'm working on essays. Mm -hmm. And that's what wakes me up out of my sleep. When I really get into something, it will wake me up. Words will wake me up from my sleep. Um, So I'm writing essays and I'm writing short stories. So we'll return to Chickasetta with some of the minor characters like Mr. Crudup, the funeral home director. I have a story about him. I have a story about Mima as a very old lady. Oh, that's wonderful to hear because that that was another question. Will these characters have another life and other stories and other plays or essays? And you just never know. I plan, but then something just comes and sweeps it out of the way. So some will have different lives. I always want to tell people, I won't tell them how, Coco will be returning. Because people were like, what happened to Coco? Why didn't Coco? (laughs) But what people, what I always say to people is, um, if I may be allowed a bit of arrogance, I'm a master poet, but I'm not a master novelist. Okay, this is my first. Okay, you're sweet. (laughs) I see you about to say, yes, you are. But I did my best. This is what I tell people in the book. But I wasn't going to experiment with writing an LGBTQ character, particularly because Coco, you know, Ailey and Lydia were all abused as children. And so the last thing I wanted to do was put forth a message that because Coco was abused, that's why she was a lesbian. Mm. I was like, I'm not putting that out there. And so much was focused on the abuse in this book. Mm -hmm. And so when I write about Coco another time, that's not going to be in the foreground. So I was really scared. I was like, I, I didn't know if I had the skills. And then by the time I realized I had the skills, The book was already in production. But yeah, Coco will be coming back. Then I'm writing the biography of Lucille Clifton. I did not know that. And my my, my, I promise you my heart just jumped because that that (laughs) that is overdue. That needs to exist in the world. There has been the book of essays about her that did some biographical work. But I'm really interested in the granular details of her life and her ancestry and placing her also in a very firmly Black context. Oh, yes. 100%. If you can share, how long have you been working on this and what drew you? Oh, I just started. Okay. I wrote about her and about her work. Did you also invent Archival Coda? So this is how the Archival Coda got invented, Mm -hmm. okay? First of all, I'm an academic. I have tenure. I'm a full professor. Now I'm I'm an endowed chair. Back then, I was just, you know, that was in 2020. You do not reference or cite someone without 
documentation. Right. <laughs> so I present the essay to the Poetry Foundation with my bibliography. And he comes back and he's like, we don't do that. And I said, well, I can't give you this essay mm. without documentation. I'm not trying to get fired for plagiarism mm. because that is what constitutes plagiarism right, is right. to be using information that you do not cite. Right. Okay. So I thought about it and I thought, and sometimes Miss Lucilla just come to me. Mm-hmm. It should just give me little ideas. And I thought, well, how can I make this pretty? Mm-hmm. So then I had like a little mini essay. Okay. Called an archival coda. Oh, wow. And I said, in the da 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 issue of this particular journal, such and such. So it basically a bibliographic essay, but it's just written nicer. I knew that there were going to be some books that I wanted people to know uh, in the back of Love Songs. I could not have written Love Songs without the color purple. Oh, of course. I, I could not have. I kick myself that I forgot to include the bluest eye mm. in the archival coda. I could not have written love songs without the bluest eye. I could not have written love songs without beloved, mm. but professor Morrison couldn't have written beloved without incidents in the life of a slave girl right, or Frederick right. Douglas. But that archival coda is condensed. Mm. I read about 30 to 35 books Mm. while writing love songs. But keep in mind that many of those books I had read for the age of Phyllis. So if people really want a very extensive bibliography, they only have to look at the back of the age of Phyllis. And I have a selected bibliography there. Oh, Well, I am going to adopt the archival coda and clearly cite you because that is part of my practice, too. I feel so I feel like a kinship with so many of the stories that have influenced my childhood and hearing it from your lips as a tenured professor, as an endowed chair, as an amazing academic. For me, sometimes it feels like I'm placing it on my bookshelf and I'm looking in a way that is tied to memories. But adding it to the academy. You know what I mean? That well, That's important too. Well, you're doing too. some really great, what we call canonical gestures in academia with on girlhood. Oh, oh that, oh, oh it's so extra <laughs> Thank good. you. Thank you so, so much. Good. It was, it was my, that, that project for me was such a love song because those stories were things that I, I mean, that I still read continuously. Like every short story in that collection is so. You want to know what's funny? <laughs> so I'm all about supporting Black writers, right? So I bought the book. Oh, thank you. Thank but you so much. But then I got a free copy in the mail. Of course. So I, have two, I have two copies and I'm like, should I keep both and ha- and eat chicken over one, you know, because I have like my, or should I give this as a gift? So I think I'm going to give it as a gift. Oh, thank yeah. you. That is the sisterhood. Pass it along. I'm Monterey Fanon Jeffers, and you are listening to Well Read Black Girl. It's time for Rapid Fire. Pew, pew. 
So this is going to be okay. really fast. Like, okay. just what's first thing to your mind? So the first okay. one is, what is your life's theme song? Glory Gaynor. I will survive. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Glory Gaynor. Yes. Name a book on your nightstand. Eric Foner's Reconstruction. Favorite place you have traveled? Uh, Senegal. Title of the first poem you ever wrote, if you can remember. I have never loved another as I have you. So bad. <laughs> Favorite book by W.E.B. Du Bois and why? The Souls of Black Folk. He's so passionate in that book. He's so passionate. Thank you. Thank y'all. I appreciate you all. What a privilege to speak with Honoré. I loved hearing about the agency she seemed to have over herself from a very young age and how she always stood up for her beliefs. As an author and as a Black woman, she displays an inner fortitude that we can all admire and borrow from. Hearing Honoré talk about using sorrow songs to frame her novel made me want to share a part of a Lucille Clifton poem that always speaks to me. It sits in conversation with Honoré's work, and it's also called Sorrow Song. For the eyes of the children of Middle Passage, for Cherokee eyes, Ethiopian eyes, Russian eyes, American eyes, for all that remains of the children, their eyes, staring at us, amazed to see the extraordinary evil in ordinary men. After the break, we'll be joined by Ramonda Lark-Young from Mahogany Books in Washington, D.C. to talk about how she created a space to make Black books accessible. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com business podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Live Nation presents Concert Week. 
Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. This week, Ramonda Lark-Young, owner of Mahogany Books in Washington, D.C., gives us a little insight into the bookshop's origin and what books you need to have in your home. So Mahogany Books opened almost 15 years ago today in the middle of then what was a recession. But my husband and I were looking for business ideas, something that we really could feel committed to and connected to. We landed at bookstore for a lot of reasons. One, for me, we wanted to make Black books accessible to people in Oklahoma, California, Idaho, Iowa, wherever, because we knew how transformative they were in our lives. So it's been exciting. It's been scary. It's been off the chain, but rewarding. You know, people ask us about our favorite books often, and there are so many. One is The Afro-Minimalist Guide to Living with Less by Christine Platt. Of course, the 1619 Project, I feel like that should be in everybody's home. Listen to more of this conversation on the latest bookmarks, exclusively on Pushkin Plus. And be sure to check out Honoré's debut novel, The Love Songs of W.E.B. Du Bois, if you haven't already. In our next episode, we'll be joined by Tiari Jones to talk about her latest novel, An American Marriage. Well-Read Black Girl is a production of Pushkin Industries. It is written and hosted by me, Glory Edom, and produced by Cher Vincent and Brittany Brown. Our associate editor is Keisha Williams. Our engineer is Amanda K. Wang. And our showrunner is Sasha Mathias. Our executive producers are Mia Lobel and Tall Molad. At Pushkin, thanks to Heather Fain, Carly Migliori, Jason Gambrow, Julia Barton, Jen Guerra, John Schnars, and Jacob Weisberg. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at WellReadBlackGirl. You can find Pushkin on all social media platforms at Pushkin Pods. And you can sign up for our newsletter at pushkin.fm. If you have a question, a recommendation, or you just want to say hi, email us at wrbg at pushkin.fm. If you love this show and others from Pushkin Industries, consider subscribing to Pushkin Plus. Pushkin Plus is a podcast subscription that offers bonus content and uninterrupted listening for $4.99 a month. Look for Pushkin Plus on Apple Podcast subscriptions. And if you're already a subscriber, make sure to check out my exclusive bookmark series. You'll hear extended interviews with book club members, bookstore owners, and more. And you get to hear what's on my mind, what's on my radar, and of course, what's on my reading list each week. To find more Pushkin Podcasts, listen on iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. Live Nation presents Concert Week. 
Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there.